Lord, as we just pause right now to remember that as we celebrate the 4th of July, I thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy in this country, that so many have sacrificed so much. Thank you for the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, those things that we that really have as firm foundations for our, for our country, and those built on really the precepts of God. So, Lord, we give you thanks. We pause and say thank you for establishing this country. And, Lord, I ask you to pre please help this country to sustain. Please, Lord, don't let us just fade away into oblivion. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Matthew, and, uh, you know, Matthew is teaching us how to live in this world as kingdom of God believers. We're in preparation for another kingdom. And we know that there's going to be opposition. We talked about that last week. And this week we're going to be talking about do not fear them. Those are the opposers. Those are the people that are going to come against the church. They're going to come against you and your life. Different things that come against you. Now, Jesus talked about the religious element that came against believers. Jesus talked about the government authorities that came against believers. And Jesus talked about even family members, that Jesus would even divide families. But I want to extend this into other things, the thems that come at you in your life. They come from all directions. So if you would, stand for reading of God's word. We're in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 through 33. Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but fear, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, any, any, any excuse me, do not fear, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for this word that we give you thanks for. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit, to the truths that you have for us today. Speak to each heart in here. Lord, we come in here with needs, the need to hear from our God. And Lord, I pray that our hearts will be open, our ears will be open, our minds will be attentive to what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. And as I mentioned in the prelude, the last time I spoke, we talked about global opposition. It would come from many areas, and Jesus listed the three areas that I've already talked about. But the interesting thing is it comes from the religious people. And I think that in the future, more and more, we're going to get religious persecution for inside the so-called church. Remember, there's a true church and there's a false church. The true churches are those who believe that Jesus Christ is their Savior. Now, all people, most people say that, but very few people really build their lives on the Word of God. And this Word is what the true church bases its life on. This is, what God, this is God's guidebook for us in life. So we study the precepts of it, and we believe it. The true church is not about being accepted but from the intelligentsia. The true church is not about my best life now. I don't know if you know that or not. It is not about your best life now. Your best life is coming in the future. Now, that's something to look forward to. So you're, and it's not about being popular. 
See, so many places are trying to build numbers and, and, and pander to the people. Folks, we want to give people the truth of the word so people have a clue what's coming down the pike at them and how to survive this thing called life here. Jesus taught us that we're not living in a gray world anymore. It's either black, it's either white. Either you're for God or you're against God. And he made this statement in Matthew 12, 30 that is very pivotal. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. The moment that you were saved, you were, you were born again into a new family, into a new kingdom, taken from the kingdom of darkness, put into the kingdom of light. And you had a change in your life. Jesus did not save you to stay the same. We are saved to be different, to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, to act contrary to our old man and start walking in the new man. We have been changed. And, and that changed person, as we go through our world, will face opposition. Our marching orders from our commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus Christ, in Matthew 10, 16, was this. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. In Colossians 4, 5, Paul picks up on this wisdom theme. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace as we engage our culture. Seasoned with salt as we impact our culture with fertilizer and flavor so that you may know how to answer everyone who has a question for you. Who is the everyone? Anyone that comes into your life that you can speak words of life into, that is the everyone. And we are to address the culture with wisdom. That's what he's saying here. Jesus, we have to be wise as serpent, innocent as doves. Paul is telling us to be wise. The Hebrew word for wisdom is hachama, hachama. And it means this, to judge righteously. We are to make judgments, but these are to be righteous judgments based upon the word of God. Not our feelings, not our emotions, but on the word of God. Skillful in mind, word, and action. That is hakma. That is how we're to address our culture. Now, I want to ask you, how do we get wisdom? You don't have to answer that. I'll tell you in just a second, so just hold it. Most of you have the answer to this. Do you get wisdom from the wisdom tree? Just go pluck a wisdom leaf and just eat the leaf and say, oh, now I'm wise. No, you do not. You do not get it from osmosis. You do not get it from the store. You can't go and buy wisdom. And you cannot even do a Spock mind melt <laughs> wisdom. That's not even going to work. It worked for Spock. It doesn't work for us, okay? Wisdom, hakama, you get from spending time with God. The only way you get it. There are no shortcuts. The only way you get it is spending time with God. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. For the Lord gives wisdom, hakama, skillful in mind, word and action. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. You get wisdom by spending time with God. That's how you get it. You impact your world with wisdom. Now, what does that wisdom do as I impact my world? Know when to speak and when to be silent. Know when to engage, know when to disengage. Know we are to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves as we go into our culture and impact the culture. 
Now, this week, we're going to be talking about do not fear the thems, the opposition. And as Jesus was speaking last time, it was the religion and government and families and all that places where opposition comes from. He starts out with, do not fear them. The truth will come out, verse 26 and 27. Watch what he says. Therefore, do not fear them. That is a, an imperative statement in the Greek. That is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is for us as believers today. Do not fear them. Any of the thems that come into your life. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that, that will not be made known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Now what this tells me right off the bat is that my religion is not personal and private and I just keep it to myself. There is an element of that, that we are to grow privately in our, in our Lord, but it always extends out. It always extends out. Preach it from the, from the housetops. So he is telling us about, don't fear them. The truth will come out. That word fear is phobio. It's where we get our word phobias. You heard about phobias before. That is defined as this. When you have fear, tell me if you don't feel this. It's that feeling of flight. Put the flight, run away. And remember this, fear, fear is the nemesis of every human being in the world. That fear came into you at the fall in the Garden of Eden. That fear is part of every human being's makeup. Everybody has a fear of something. Fear can be, lead you to irrationality, can cause you to withdraw, can cause relational problems can, can, if it's unchecked, it can destroy your health as you constantly live in this churning, worrying fear. Now, again, where did fear come from? I already tipped it off. It came from sin. It is rooted in sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, out went peace, in came fear. Now, remember this. Adam and Eve were the only perfect ones to ever walk this earth except for Jesus. Okay. They actually had times when they could commune mano a mano with God, walk with him, talk with him, can commune. No human can do that now because we're in this sin state. We will do that when we're glorified, okay? But we can't do that now. We have an element of being able to do that now, to approach him in prayer and read his word, and that sort of thing. But that, that very personal thing that they had, we're going to have that again when we get to heaven. Watch what happened in Genesis 3, verse 9 and 10. God called to Adam and said to him, where are you, Adam? This is after the fall. And Adam says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Folks, that was the first fear. That fear entered into Adam. That fear has been passed on to every single human that's ever lived. That is our nemesis is fear. The word is yare, and it means dreadful, terrifying fear, or it can mean awesome respect for God. And I think Adam was feeling terrified to be in front of a holy God in a sin state. Robert Dean adds this on this area of Scripture. He, he comments with these words, The basic orientation of the sin nature is on arrogance saying this, I will act independent of God. Look, at whenever you're acting independent of God, you're walking in your flesh, walking in your fleshly nature. 
He said, we are totally focused on self. That's pride. We are self-absorbed and totally focused on surviving as self, resulting in fear. Now, watch what Jesus does with fear. Watch how he addresses this. He gives his followers a straightforward command. Not, not to be misunderstood. Absolutely. Do not fear them. Do not allow fear to control you. Do not allow the opposers of your life to, oppose, to, to, to engender fear in you. Do not fear when lies are spoken of you, when you're intimidated, when there's a manipulation of the facts in a situation. As our world changes, do not fear. We know what's coming, folks. You studied prophecy. You know the word of God. You know that things are, are changing in our world. We say this every week. And then also, do not fear the things that you're making up in your mind. Because, you know, a lot of people just can't live with the peace of the moment. They got to be wondering about, you know, when's the next storm going to come? Look, we've had 10 days or something of sun. And, oh, when's it going to rain again? And the hail might come and hit my car. You can make this stuff up as you're going. Hey, live in the peace of the moment, folks. Do not allow fear to control you. Enter God, exit fear. When fear enters your world, identify the, foe, the, the source and refocus your, your vision on God. Now, I have a picture here that helps us with this. What consumes, what consumes your mind controls your life. What consumes your mind controls your life. Folks, when you have fear come in, take your eyes off of the fear and just pretend this is Jesus. This is supposed to be a Jesus symbol. But anyway, put your eyes on the master. You cannot focus on two things at one time. Cannot focus. When the opposers come and the thems come into your life, and they will come. They will come. When tribulation comes to your house, when it lands on your porch, allow the fear of God, not men, not the situation, not the whatevers are going on to govern your life. The fear of God. Jesus tells his followers who are being persecuted, watch what he says to them. There is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nothing hidden that will not be made known. You know, there's a lot of thems in the world that think that they're winning the battle of the, of the lies and the distortions. Hey, Hebrews 4.13 sets it all straight. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. All things, how many is all? All things are uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. We are here, folks. While we are here, let yourself know. You know. Let the world know that we will not be intimidated by the thems that come into our life. We will not be silenced. We will use godly wisdom, hachama of God, to judge righteously we will do this in the power of the Holy Spirit and we will join God where he is working and we will be wise as serpents and innocents of doves and we will do this in God's strength. Now, now that I said all that as kind of a prelude, think about fear. Think about phobias. There's about four major areas, there'll be a slide that comes up here that shows us about fear. We have environmental fear. Oh, no, the storms are coming. Oh, no, there's going to be a flood. Oh, no, we have animal fear. We have, well, who doesn't, who loves shots? I mean, that's not, that's not fun. Dentist, that's not a big, 
great thing. And then people have fears of blood. And then situational fears could be a, a, a cluster of those. But I want you to think about this. When we're thinking about fear, and it's, it, again, it permeates each one of us. Think about these words that are used for fear, these phobias. Do you know what the greatest fear that people have? That it's, it's, it's endemic for, for everybody. Brad, <laughs> tell us Brad. Yeah. It is the fear of public speaking. 75% of humans have this fear. But there's also a list. When you go through the, you get, there's a huge list of these things. I just picked out a few. There's fear of heights. There's fear of flying. There's fear of water. There's claustrophobia, the fear of enclosed spaces. There's hemophobia, the fear of blood. And then there's this one that I think a lot of people can identify with. One-third of the women and one-fourth of the men have a terrifying fear of arachnophobia. That's the fear of spiders. And I was going to put some nasty-looking spider on the screen, but I didn't. Yes. And then I think there's a new fear that has come into this country. And you know what that fear is? Ergophobia. It's the fear of work. Yes, it is permeating our country. <laughs> Ergophobia. It's a real word. It's a real word. Yeah. So what are we to do with our fear? We are to face our fear with courage. It'll be a next slide here. Courage, folks, listen to this. You are never not going to be afraid. You go into combat, there's always going to be the fear, okay? You are going to, anytime a new situation comes at you, it can be fearful. Just, re, just identify that. But courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is acting in spite of your fear. I think that is a great statement. A great statement. When we act Contrary to our fear, not controlled by our fear, folks, that is courage. Now, Jesus has a 911 message to each one of us. 911, hear this, each person in here. Fear not, I am with you. Enter God, exit fear. Enter God, exit fear. Now, again, I have said that fear and faith cannot coexist, and this is just something to help you to remember. Fear and faith cannot coexist. That'll be the next slide coming up. Yes, fear and faith, there it is, cannot coexist in our hearts at the same time. They cannot. They cannot. You'll either have one or you'll have the other. You cannot have both. Fear or faith. Look at We have been with Jesus. When we have been with Jesus, we have a power that the world will never understand. They may not, never understand it. So we go in his might, and we have the courage then to face our fears. That is what we do. Verse 28 is telling us, don't fear God. Don't fear God. Do not fear them, fear God. Excuse me. Do not fear them, fear God. Verse 28. And do not fear, command. You identify it, command. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body and hell, which would be God. Okay, make no mistake. He is the one that determines where you go, not Satan. This is, this is speaking of God. There's always a temptation, folks, to give in to the fear of them. Always, particularly when it ramps up to those who kill the body. 
Now, Jesus is going to give us some treasured information here. He's going to tell us that this life is all temporary. This thing is passing. Everyone gets to die. Everyone will be promoted or demoted, depending on what you've done with Jesus Christ. If you believe in him, you get promoted to heaven. If you reject him, you get demoted to be separated from him forever in what we traditionally call hell, okay? Now, think about this. People will do the strangest things to tenaciously hold on to this life. They hold on and claw and grip and anything to hold on. Clay Jones, in his book, Immortal, which is, by the way, is in the library for your purchasing, if you would like, has this to say. Watch what he says about how people try to hold on to this life. He says this. There's a guy that, that made a coffee company, Bulletproof coffee, com coffee Company. His name is David Asprey. This is what he has done, spent millions of dollars to prolong his life. He has bone marrow extracted from his hips. You know what that is? That's a bone marrow biopsy. That hurts. That hurts. You can get all the local in you want. Once they go into that periosteum, it hurts. It hurts. Bone marrow biopsy from his hips and has stem cells injected into every joint in his body. This guy wants to live. Then he does this, takes 100 supplements a day, follows religiously a low-carb, high-fat diet, bathes in infrared light, chills in a cryothamber. He wants to kill the germs. <laughs> and he relaxes in hyperbaric oxygen. Now, that's what he does. That's what he does. Now, there's some other enthusiasts. Listen to this group of people. Founders of PayPal, Google, Facebook, eBay, Napster, Netscape have spent hundreds of millions of dollars on how they can prolong their lives. And they're looking at these things called nanobots, little robots that can go into the bloodstream. Watch what he says. Nanobots will be able to travel through your bloodstream then go in and around your cells and perform various services such as removing toxins, sweeping out debris, correcting DNA or errors, repairing and restoring cell membranes, etc. Oh, we're going to put all of our marbles in the nanobot bank. Not wise. How about this one? Brain uploading. Now, folks, you might think this is fanciful. But if you went to our men's group on Thursday night, you're going to know that this stuff is actually being talked about. Listen. Listen what Clay Jones says. Brain uploading is a kind of transhumanism in which the mind, a collection of memories, personalities, mental state, attributes of a specific individual are transferred from its original biological brain to a computer. If you could upload your consciousness into a computer... Then you could load yourself into a new body, a digital avatar, a god. That's what people are thinking today. And it doesn't stop there. It's cryonics. Ted Williams. Ted Williams had his body frozen in hopes that technology would save him at a later date. How foolish. But it gets stranger than that. Roy mentioned a guy last week. His name, Noah Harare. Now, I've mentioned his name. Forget his name. Okay? Don't go look this dude up. You don't need to be poisoned by his stuff. 
unless you come to the Thursday night group and you want to participate in the conversation, then you can look him up. But Noah Harari has espoused using artificial intelligence, again, to connect the brain to computers, immortality becoming the goal, to become a god. Immortality apart from God, becoming a god, the movers and the shakers in this world are buying into this in droves. Listen to this. Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum. Bill Gates, Zuckerberg, Obamas, CEOs from companies. The list is long that they are following this guy like he's their Messiah. Okay? Folks, this is unbelievable stuff. And listen to what he says. Listen to the truth. To save humanity, humanity must decrease. Let that resonate with you, what's going on with the COVID, which was a manufactured organism. Okay, this did not come from bats. I think they're finally admitting it. Two and a half years later. Harari argues that humanity's progress towards bliss and immortality and divinity is bound to be unequal. Some people will leap ahead and some people will be left behind. Now, who do you think will be left behind? Now, I have a supposition here. It's the test subjects. The test subjects may not fare so well as the elites progress to their utopia. Masses believe in Harare and ignore the true God. Masses believe in, in, in Harare will ignore the eternal existence that God promises those who believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. They look at Christianity as being a fairy tale a make-believe, that sort of thing. What godless immortality seekers do not realize and that, folks, we are all immortal. We will dwell in one place forever or another place forever, depending on what you do with Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. Just that simple. So do not fear any of the thems in your life. Humanity extolling itself. Fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. That word hell is, is Gehenna. And it means that, that word destroy means put to death, not non-existence. It means put to death, which is, which is separation. That it means waste and ruin forever. And that word hell is Gehenna, the valley of Gehennum which is in Israel, which was a garbage dump, a smoldering, burning, stinking garbage dump. That was the picture that Jesus used for hell, forever and ever and ever. Immortality has gotten one way, folks. Well, you're going to be immortal, but living with God immortally one way, there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. God's will is that all be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And John 6, 40 tells us, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him, not just recognizes the Son, but believes in him. You know the word, it is pistio in the Greek. It means commit to, put your trust in Jesus Christ as your sin bearer. It must be personal. It can't just be acknowledging, yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross. That's great. I many, many, many people believe that. You must internalize it. That's why Jesus said in John 1, 12, yet all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So that is what he says. Believes in him, 
may have everlasting life, ionios, eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. Now, we have transhumanism, we have cryonics, we have Noah Harare and his stuff and everybody following him, and then we have Jesus. Now, who are you going to put your trust in? I'm telling you, it is a no-brainer to me. But I, it astounds me. It astounds me how old men clamor for more and more and more of this world that is passing away. They will create, they'll do anything to create their immortality, use science, but they will also put their names on buildings, on bridges, on libraries, so that their name lives on forever. Now, how many people have gone to a library and saw, saw Joe Blow on the library and go, gosh, I wonder who that guy was? He accomplished nothing by trying to prolong his, his, his legacy. King David wrote something very interesting in Psalm 103, verse 15 through 17. And he tells us the truth about life here. As for man, his days are like grass. As the flower of the field, so he flourishes. Just for a moment. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. Forgotten. Forgotten. But the mercy of the Lord. Oh, this is great. Is from everlasting to everlasting forever. On those who fear him. On those who put their trust in him. Isaiah 49, 16 says this. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. You talk about intimacy. I have engra engraved on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your ways are always before me. That is intimacy with the living God. Fear. Yare. Those who tremble at him, revere him, respect him, submit to him. He has engraved you on the palms of his hands. He loves you. He loves you. We are to fear him, God, who holds our very breath in our hands. You know why you wake up every morning? God. You know why you're alive right now? God. There's, a, there's a, an appointment for you that is coming. In Job 12.10 says this, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. God, God, it would be wise to not fear them, but to fear God. Hebrews 10.31 says this, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And by the way, for all of those who think they're in control, for all of those nanobot cheerleaders that think you're going to prolong your life. God says this in Psalm 139, 16, all the days ordained for me or for you were given before one of them came to be. We have an entrance stamp, enter. We have an exit stamp, exit. God determines that. Not the nanobots, not the transhumanism, not the cryonics, God. These people do not believe in the living God. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. So, verse 29 through 31. Know this, don't fear them. You are valued by God. 
Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Now notice you have a little sparrow, insignificant, a copper coin, insignificant. And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Let that sink in. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Do not fear. If God cares for a sparrow, be sure that he cares for you of great value. Now, you must remember this. When you said yes to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are now, you call, you are now called children of God, the bride of Christ. You are greatly valued by God. Do you know that you are joint heirs with Christ? That we will inherit everything that he has by divine right? We get as a gift? What an amazing thing. The moment we said yes with Jesus, we're in a family of God. It doesn't get any better than that. Fully alive. Fully alive in the family of God. And then Jesus gives an example here of how he values each one of us. How intimately he knows each one of us. He says, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He knows you intimately. Now, there's a cute little cartoon here. It gives you a little idea here. We only have to number the head, head hairs, right? I mean, we can do this pretty easy, but this gets to be a little tough. You know, that gets to be a little different. But anyway, a little levity for the moment. Now, don't miss this. Nothing happens apart from your father's will. Now, this is difficult. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly of life must pass through God's hands. Now, many people will then try to ascribe to God evil, the rape, the murder, the this, that. No, no. Let the enemy own that one. This is, this is, the sovereignty of God is disturbing to some and comforting to others. And I want you to think about something. I heard this this week at Maranatha from one of the speakers. God's goodness is not dependent upon what's happening in my life, my life circumstances. If something bad is happening to me, some people immediately extrapolate from that, how can God be good and allow this to happen in my family? I can't believe it. Oh, no, your, your, your situation, God's goodness is not dependent upon what's happening to you. God's goodness is dependent upon what he has already done for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, who, by the way, wasn't treated very well here, by the way, was tortured on a cross, by the way, was murdered on a cross, spat upon, treated like dirt. His goodness does not depend on my circumstances. And I want you to know something. You are valued by God. Do not fear them. None of the fears in your life. Do not fear them. And then finally, we're going to get to this verse that I think is challenging. Verse 32 and 33. Do not fear them, but confess him. Don't deny him. 32 and 33. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Huge Huge statement. He goes on to say, But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. 
Now again, Jesus is talking about the persecution that believers are going to get from the religious establishment, the government, family members that hate your guts because you're a Christian, that sort of thing. But I tell you, it's very much more diverse than that, the things that come at us. Jesus was emphasizing, do not fear them. Do not fear what mankind can do to you. And then listen to this. I think this is a good statement. The fear of what others think may be a hindrance to your faith walk. How many people are absolutely shaken to their knees because someone said something about them on Facebook? Twitter. They tweeted something about them. How many people are so shaken by what other people are saying? Folks, you're a child of the king. You're the bride of Christ. You're in the family of the living God. You have a destiny. You are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You're going to be reigning someday someplace. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. So our attitude about what they say, what the them say about us is this. Who cares? Now let's practice that. I don't often do this, but just say this with me. Who cares? That's right. I don't care what the thems have to say. I care what he has to say to me. That's what I care about. I'm an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. He values me. Fear of them must not affect our confession of him. That is an important, important point. Now, I have a question for you. Is Jesus speaking exclusively about caving at the point of death? Because he's, he, earlier he says, do not fear those who can kill the body. That's part of it. Okay, that's part of it. Or is there more going on here? Remember, I'll say it again. Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father in heaven. That is a promise. That word confess means this, to agree with, assent to, Speak the truth about. Tell your world, folks. Tell your world, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Lord. My loyalty is to Christ, not to them. That's what we must come down to. Confessing Jesus, loyalty to Jesus is a big thing. Now, the ultimate stressor is dying for your faith, right? facing beheading, facing stoning, facing a firing squad, whatever it might be. I would suggest that most people don't have to go through that. A lot of people in our world do. We haven't had any of that here yet. But there's other ways that we must confess him. How about in the public arena, when people are degrading our Savior, saying he's not real. He's not popular today, you know. He's losing popularity. The phony Jesus is very popular. By the way, the Jesus that will give me anything that I want, that's the one that people want. But the Jesus that says, no, you must submit to me, deny yourself and follow me, take up your cross, they don't want him. They don't want that submission thing. How about in the classroom when they make fun of your faith? How about in the workplace when they look at you as an ignorant person because you actually believe this Bible stuff? How about in your family when everyone thinks you're a religious nut? Behind your back, you walk into the room and all of a sudden, quiet. Here comes the nut. Yeah. I believe the early church, the ones that went to Nero's circus, you know what that is? That's the Colosseum where they were eaten by lions, 
torn apart by horses on one arm or another. If they confessed Jesus, if they, if they denied Jesus Christ, they lived. If they confessed him, they were torn in two. Nero Circus lit up like candles on the roads. I think that they were thinking about this verse. If you confess me, I will confess you. If you deny me, I will deny you. Paul picks up on this theme in 2 Timothy 2.11. And he says this, For this is a faithful saying, If we died with him, we shall live with him. Now, you, most of you probably don't know this, but when you believed in Jesus Christ, you died. Your old man died. And your new man is alive. It says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Our old man is dead. I died when Jesus died. If we endure, we'll reign with him. That means we'll get rewards. And then he makes this statement. If we deny him, he will deny us. Folks, that's the volitional denying of Jesus Christ. And then he makes an interesting tag here. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. I think that covers all of us who have had momentary lapses. Wondering, is this real? Peter had a momentary lapse, didn't he? I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. And then he was restored. And Peter ends up dying upside down on a cross. Brutally, not recanting, not recanting, not denying. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. That word deny, it's clear. It's clear. Do not deny Christ. Deny means to refuse, reject, disavow, much like Peter did, temporary. But he continued to know him later. A definitive decision to reject Jesus' rule over a person's life, to deny him as their savior. Now, there's many situations where believers have been coerced, tortured for prolonged periods of time, enduring unimaginable agony, and some have broken, and some have denied the faith at that moment. I don't think it's talking about that thing that where your brain just goes into destruction and you can no longer function as a human being. I think this is more of a volitional act. However, Richard Rembrandt has an interesting statement here that I think that we should take pause to look at. He says this, now this man went through extreme torture. I mean, he was beaten to a pulp isolated for long periods of time, and he writes this statement. He said there are two kinds of Christians, those who sincerely believe in God and those who just as sincerely believe that they believe. You can tell them apart by their actions in decisive moments. What a statement. Gives you pause to think. It seems to me a volitional rejection of Jesus is what's going on here. Do not fear them, but confess him. And I would encourage you, be brave and be strong. If you get to the point. Now, Peter's denial was before the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Before he was filled with the Spirit. After the Spirit came at Pentecost, all of those runners, those disciples that ran away, 
The majority of them died for their faith, brutally, not denying the Savior. They modeled what the early church did in going to the Colosseum and that sort of thing. And I believe it's the Spirit's power that allows you to stand in those moments. It won't be us. It'll be Him. Some closing thoughts. Confessing Jesus and not denying Jesus is a big, big deal. Christ is not ashamed of us, the bride of Christ. We are not to be ashamed of Him. Hear this. Now, I want you to understand something. Public confession, when possible, is expected of a Jesus follower. Why did I qualify that? Because if you're in North Korea and you have a public confession of Christ, you're immediately killed. In Iran, in some places, in some Islamic countries, a public declaration of your faith in Jesus Christ can get you killed immediately or your family and that sort of thing. Jesus said, be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Be very careful in those environments. Know when to speak and know when to be silent. Hachma, wisdom. Now, we support Mission India. Now, Mission India trains Indian people to minister to Indian people. And those that are saved in India tell their brethren, tell their brothers and sisters the truth. When you come into the family of God, you're going to make a public confession of your faith and you're going to renounce Hinduism, which is an abject, horrendous thing to the Hindu people. Okay? And you will likely experience losing your job, losing your family, losing everything that you have, even your life could be at stake. It is astounding in how many Indian people know that when they go to their baptism and make a public confession of their faith about the Lord Jesus Christ, their baptism is a huge, huge, huge thing to them. Same thing in Iran and China and that sort of thing. They are publicly declaring I belong to the Lord Jesus, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. I'm telling everybody I belong to Jesus Christ, and they risk it all, that yet these people will face persecution no matter the cost. I want to give you an example of this. An example. In 2015, there was a group of Coptic Christians facing a Muslim radical's ISIS. And in that, these guys are going to be marching off. And my question is, is why do confessing Christians march to their death so willingly? I have a picture here of these guys. This is an actual picture. These guys are all going to die. Every one of them. It's the Mediterranean Sea. They're marching around the sea. This is very public. ISIS made sure of that. Now, why do they do that so willingly? I would suggest to you this is the answer. As a witness for their Lord. Acts 1.8 was real to them. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It'll be the Holy Spirit that comes upon you to give you the iron to stand. This is happening in our world today as we're insulated from this stuff. And I would suggest to you this. This was their finest hour. They refused to deny Jesus Christ. It was their opportunity to stand. Loyalty to Christ to the death was their code. 21 confessed 
zero recanted. And the next picture is just prior to their death. And all they had to do was worship Allah and deny Jesus Christ. And none of these men did that. That is the Holy Spirit power in action. I suspect these men may have been thinking about rewards in heaven. I suspect they may have been thinking about Jesus' words here, confessing him and not denying him. I suspect they might have thought about Jesus' death on the cross and how the disciples died and, and how they stood for their faith. They may have even had information about Polycarp, who was the bishop of Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, who under the threat of death and burning at the stake, at age 88 or something like that, at 88, 86, he said, I will not deny my Lord. I will not bow to Caesar worship. And they burned him at the stake. You might have thought about John Huss, who was burned at the stake for the word of God. I suspect that at that final moment, the Holy Spirit gave them miracle power to do the impossible. Jesus promised each one of us, the Holy Spirit will come upon you at the time. What are they were waiting for? They will get a martyr's crown. It's called the crown of life for dying for their faith. But you know who else gets the crown of life? James chapter 1 verse 12 tells us this. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. That's the trials. That temptation is the word translated as trials and tests of life. For when he has been approved, dokimos, genuine, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Those who endure the regulars of life, the regular trials of life, the ongoing trials of life, they too will receive the martyr's crown, the crown of life. Do not fear the trials of life. Do not fear the trials of life. They come in all shapes and sizes, all the thems of life. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, will come up on the screen. Before we develop that, I want to just mention one thing. These men and women of steel that stood to the end, they were not striving for immortality their way. They weren't relying on technology, human ingenuity, biotechnology, brain uploading, transhumanism, where man says, I'll do it my way. And God says, is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Now, these brethren... When they faced persecution, they faced it this way. My brethren, my brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. This word is pokleos, like polka dots, different shapes, different sizing. Knowing that the testing, the dokimos of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Now, look, you read this and say, hey, I don't know that I can do that. This is talking about you becoming mature through the trials of life. There's no trial that comes into your life that God wastes. It's a testing point for you. Will I trust my God or will I be fearful in this situation? 
You were saved, folks, for a purpose. You were saved for a purpose. You were given life and breath and all things for a purpose. What is that purpose? To be a steward of your life. Your life is a gift. Your life is a gift. Not to be wasted, not to frivolously use it the way you want to. Be a steward of your life. And when all is said and done, may you be found faithful. 1 Corinthians 4.2 Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I'm going to end with three pictures that I would like you to indelibly imprint on your minds as we're closing here. The first one, do not be afraid of them, none of the thems that come in. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. You can trust this word. The Lord is with you in every situation you go into. He will not abandon you. You may feel abandoned, but if you are his, he is with you through the fire. The next picture is this. It's a repeat. Fear and faith cannot coexist in our hearts at the same time. This is a very important thing. Be brave. Be strong. The Lord your God is with you in anything that you go through. Have courage to face the fear. Number three, a repeat. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is acting in spite of your fear. Folks, we're going into an epoch of time where everything is changing. Do not fear what is coming at us. All eyes on Jesus. All eyes on Jesus. Courage is acting in spite of our fear. In spite of our fear. Do not fear them. Tell them about him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Thank you for your word that directs our lives and directs our steps. Thank you for this time together. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. And I ask that you would plant into our minds, into our souls, into our spirits, things that you wanted us to remember today applicable to us. May we be men and women of God of courage. May we fear not because you've commanded us not to fear not. In order to not fear not, I have to have my eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the rod of iron up our spine to allow us to stand. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.